We'll be reading from Jonah chapter 3, Jonah chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. This is the third week that we spent looking at the uh, Bible story of Jonah and the big fish. Quite a lot in Jonah. We'll finish up with Jonah this week, this morning, and tonight. We'll start in chapter 3, verse 1. And we mentioned several different times. Jesus said, this is in Luke chapter 11, verse 29, this generation searches for a sign. No sign will be given to this generation but that of the prophet Jonah. Now, a lot of times we read that and say, oh, we know what the sign of Jonah is. That is the three days that he spent in the belly of the big fish. It corresponds, of course, with Jesus being in the tomb three days. Well, that could be the sign of the prophet Jonah. That's mentioned in the book of Matthew, not mentioned in the book of Luke. So if it is not the three days or limited to the three days that Jonah spent in the belly of the big fish, what is the sign of the prophet Jonah? It could be much more, much more that is very applicable to our lives and our country today. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. And he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let every one turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger? so that we may not perish. Then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. And God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. It is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for the straightforward, clear truths of your word. 
We ask that the truth and the message you have for us as individuals, as a church, as a country, would be very clear to us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. The sign of the prophet Jonah. Jesus spoke to his generation, said this generation will be given the sign of the prophet Jonah. If you read through this book, there are several things that become abundantly clear, and all of them can apply to our lives. First of all, the sign of the prophet Jonah, God is the champion of second chances. In verse 1, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, if you remember, the word of God came to Jonah the first time, and Jonah ran. And then God, being merciful to both Jonah and Nineveh, stopped his trip. And then it says, and Jonah prayed. And that was the turning point. Jonah prayed. And of course, the word of God came to Jonah a second time. It was a second chance for Jonah. He blew it. God had told him to do something, and he dropped the ball. He went the other way, but God gave him a second chance. It's a second chance for Nineveh. You see, it was all about Nineveh more than it was about Jonah. And God loved Nineveh too much to let Jonah go to Tarshish. So he turned him around, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. It was a second chance for Nineveh. And God's mercy is even seen even further because as we see, he said their wickedness is come up before me. This was back in chapter 1. They were wicked. They were overdue for judgment. And when Jonah came to town, he said you have 40 days to get it right. That, dear friends, is mercy. They deserved judgment yesterday and he gave them 40 days to get it right. And God is the champion of second chances for you. The fact that you're able to hear this means that God has given you a ch second chance for salvation. If you don't know the Lord, you're hearing the message again. That's another chance. Or maybe commitments. You ever made New Year's resolution? A lot of times they have to do with church and they have to do with your spiritual life. And about the second week of January, you've blown it all. So what you do is you just give up. You've already blown it. This is your second chance. You can make good on those resolutions. You haven't blown the whole year. You just blow the first part of the year. Get back on track. This is a second chance. And our mistakes along the way. Is there anybody here that has not made a mistake along the way? All of us have. We were talking the other night. Sharon and I were talking in... You know, we both agree, you know, I wish I could go back and do some things different. I would do a lot of things different. We all make mistakes along the way. Hey, but we're here, and we're given another chance to do it right, right? We can't change the mistakes we made in the past, but God's given us another chance to do it right this time. Secondly, the sign of the prophet Jonah. God's word does not change due to human protests. The word of God came to Jonah the second time. And God said, Jonah, you were quite upset about what I said earlier, so I'm going to change it all up for you. You know, I can't have you all unhappy, and I'm, I'm going to change it up for you. So we're going to do things a little bit different. <laughs> that is not what happened. 
the same message that Jonah ran from, Jonah found staring him right in the face when he turned around. God's message did not change. God's instructions for his life did not change just because he protested it, just because he wanted God's message to be different. It did not change. And God's message will not change from generation to generation to century to century just because people or a group of people decide they don't like what God has to say. God's word changes, will not change. It will stay the same regardless of the changes we may try to make as individuals or as a country. God's word is God's word from generation to generation. And that is good because, thirdly, the sign of the prophet Jonah is the power of God's word. In Luke chapter 11, verse 29, Jesus said, No sign will be given to this generation except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Then down in verse 32, he said, They repented at the preaching of Jonah. That is the sign of the prophet Jonah. God's word was preached and they repented. That's the power of God's word. They repented despite several disadvantages. First of all, let's look at the audience. The audience was the people of Assyria, the Assyrians. Now, you have to do some homework and realize who was Jonah preaching to. They were up to the north. Nineveh was up to the north, capital city of Assyria. They were totally given over to idol worship totally given over to idol worship, and some of their idol worship could have involved human sacrifice. They were people of extreme cruelty and proud of it. They advertised it. That's how they totally overwhelmed people into submission is because they were so cruel nobody wanted to deal with them. There is a uh, minaret, which of course is a... a uh, carving on the wall of some ancient ruins of Nineveh. And the king of Assyria is bragging about taking POWs and he just cut off their hands and feet for the fun of it. They would skin people alive and lay them in the hot sun to die a slow death. They would impale them on big poles outside of the city just to watch them die. And right when you're coming into Nineveh, by the city gate, there was a pyramid of human skulls of enemies they had killed. These were some bad folks. They were warlike, invading neighboring countries. These were the Assyrians. The audience was a tough crowd. If anybody could say, no, these are totally unreachable. You'll never reach these people. Look at how horrible they are. You'll never reach them. But let's look at the messenger. The messenger was an outsider. The messenger was a Hebrew. The messenger, of course, was considered an enemy of the people of Assyria. Not only was he an outsider, he was a half-hearted outsider. As we see, of course, in the conclusion that starts to wrap up in chapter 4, Jonah really wasn't real wild about reaching the people of Nineveh. In fact, it made him mad when they repented. He was half-hearted. We say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. 
Jonah ran from God, and then God dealt with him with the little detour down to the bottom of the ocean in the, in the belly of the big fish. And then it says he came up and he arose and went. Yes. But then now scholars have to ask, was this a response out of conviction or convenience? Because watch this. When God came the first time, he said, you do the preaching that I bid you. The second time, it was the same instructions, but God was a little bit more specific because Jonah, in preaching the bidding that God told him, said, 40 days, and then it will be overthrown. Now, the first one, Jonah didn't have any limits. He didn't know exactly how long he would have to do what God wanted him to do. The second time, it was 40 days. I can do anything for 40 days. Guess what God wants out of me? He's getting 40 days. That's what he's getting. And I'll go 40 days. I'll do my time. There's a definite time limit. I've got a limit as to what I'm going to give to God. So we understand his response to God really wasn't that noble in the first place. And we know that he was half-hearted. He was not even enthusiastic about his message. So he wasn't a real eloquent messenger. He wasn't a real de dedicated messenger. He was an outsider that smelled like fish vomit. He was not a good preacher. So we realize the messenger wasn't that impressive. But oh, the message. The message was straight, brief, and blunt. But he went through and preached it one time. One time. And they believed. Chapter 3, verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God. It says he went through one day's journey and preached, and the whole city begins to turn to God. And not only was the whole city turned to God, the king of Assyria, the baddest of the bad, the meanest of the mean, the leader, the one who was responsible for the direction of the country, his heart was reached with the word of God. God's word can reach anyone's heart. And perhaps maybe we need to be praying about that right now. Now, I know we pray for the army of the Ukraine. We pray for the people of Ukraine. But, you know, God would rather deliver Vladimir Putin and destroy him. And the king of Nineveh repented. The king of Nineveh and all of Nineveh repented despite all of the advantages, disadvantages, they repented. They had a lot of working against them. Jesus said, this generation will not be given any sign except the sign of the prophet Jonah. The people of Nineveh repented. They'll rise up in judgment on this generation because a greater than Jonah is here. You see, what was it about the generation that Jesus was talking to? The people of Nineveh had one sermon and they repented. 
The people in Jesus' generation had sermon after sermon after sermon. Jesus traveled all over the country. He preached in the country. He preached in the city. He preached on the streets. He preached in the synagogues. He went everywhere. They had sermon after sermon. And on top of this, they had miracle after miracle. It was testified that this was the man that could do these things. They had, of course, the endorsement of the prophets. This is how you'll know the Messiah is here. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the people that couldn't talk, they'll, they'll be able to talk, and the crippled man will rise up and walk. That all of this. And they did not believe. And he said, Nineveh will judge this generation of Hebrews because they had every single advantage and they did not repent. The sign of the prophet of Jonah speaks to the generation of Jesus' days, and it speaks to our generation. Nineveh had no Bible. In America, we have millions. Most houses have stacks of them. I was at the uh, homeless shelter, and we go in and out of there doing the meals and so forth. And, of course, naturally, I was thinking, maybe we need some Bibles here. There's a stack of Bibles that anybody who wants one could have one. We have Bibles that are for sale for just, just pennies, just dollars, or Bibles are given away every year by the Gideons. Nineveh had no Bible. America has millions. Nineveh had no churches. We have tens of thousands. In fact, did you know in Columbia County alone there's over 100-something churches? Did you ever get the newspaper and see the little devotional page and all the local church page on the back? Over 100 churches in Columbia County alone. America has churches probably within sight of each other in every single city. Nineveh had no biblical broadcast. They had no internet resources. Everywhere you turn, there's biblical broadcasts available. They had none of these things. But Nineveh repented. We have all these things. And our country is still going in a wayward direction away from God. Rejecting God, His Word, His principles. You see, the sign of the prophet... Jonah is the fact that Nineveh repented at the powerful preaching of God's word one message, one time, and they repented. That's the power of God's word. And then the sign of the prophet Jonah. I'm going to apologize for this up front because preachers kind of like to do these things. They like to alliterate things. Everything starts with the same letter. Well, here's this point. A pathetic portrait of a pouting preacher. That's it. The sign of the prophet Jonah. So Jonah goes and he preaches the message. And he goes through the town. I mean, he didn't rally up and get a crusade with the music and the lights and the fog machines and all that. He didn't do all that. He went through one pass. And the whole town repents. And Jonah's saying, glory! It is such a wonderful day. That's not what it says. It says it displeased Jonah exceedingly. The condition of our hearts is revealed by one thing, two things really. Number one, what makes you happy? What really makes you happy? Secondly, what makes you angry? What really makes you mad? That's going to reveal the condition of your heart. And God asked him the question, Jonah, 
is it right for you to be angry? As we mentioned, of course, a couple of weeks ago, God asked questions to get us to realize where we are. God knew the answer to that question. Jonah knew the answer to that question, but God had to say, Jonah, is it right for you to be this angry? Is it right for you to be angry at the fact that Nineveh repented? In fact, the English totally understates what happened here. It's quite interesting when you look at the Hebrew language. It displeased Jonah exceedingly. Now, the word displeased is the Hebrew word raha. You look that up in the Strong's Hebrew Dictionary, the word raha means to break into pieces. Jonah fell to pieces. Jonah had an emotional meltdown. Jonah threw a tantrum. Or as we say in the South, Jonah had him a hissy fit. I mean, he just lost it. He threw into a rage and a tantrum. And the word exceedingly is another root word of this. It's just the word ra. It is the same word that is used in chapter 1, verse 2, when God said there, wickedness has come up before me. It is the same word in chapter 3, verse 8, when the king said, let everybody turn from their evil way. Jonah was falling to pieces, and the word exceedingly means, while Nineveh was pulling out of their wickedness, Jonah was descending into some wickedness of his own because he was throwing a fit because what causes rejoicing in the kingdom of heaven was making him mad. He couldn't rejoice with the angels in heaven over a whole city that repented because he was angry. The question, why would you be that angry? Why would he be so mad that he couldn't rejoice because revival had broken out in Nineveh? First of all, could have been personal. You see, Jonah was from Gath-Hefer. This is according to 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. That's the what. Here's the so what. Gath-Hefer was on the northern border of Israel, right up next to Assyria. And for a hundred years, the Assyrian people had been making raids into the border towns. It could have been Jonah had a personal grievance because the Assyrians had come into his town. Could have been. We don't know. But I do know this. I do know people that got their feelings hurt and somebody actually did them wrong. And after 10, 15, 20 years, they had not let it go. And they can't rejoice and be happy when God's doing something in the church and God is working because they still got that hurt. They've still got that anger. They still got that grudge. It was personal. Secondly, could have been political. Who were the Assyrians? The Assyrians, they were the enemy. They were the enemy. And of course, Jonah was a devoted Hebrew. Had to be, to be a prophet. And it was against anything for a Hebrew, a Jewish man, to think about anybody outside of Israel getting any kind of mercy from God. And now here God is dealing with the not only the outsiders, somebody that weren't Israelites, but we're talking about the enemy, the enemy, them. It was political. It was considered probably treason that he would go up 
and preach to those folks. See, his first and foremost identification as a human was a prophet of the living God of heaven. He lost track of that, and he started considering his first identification as being an Israelite, a member of the Hebrew nation. We are citizens of heaven. Paul said in Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven. That's our primary citizenship. Anytime our affiliation with a political party, anytime our affiliation with the country, the, US, the United States of America supersedes that, we are in Jonah's shoes, and we've got things all out of whack. Our primary citizenship is we are citizens of heaven, the family of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when God asks us to go to the nations, he will ask us to go to some of them, whoever them is. And it may be the people who aren't like us, maybe the people who don't like us, and we have to reach them, and we have to love them, even if they don't love us, because our citizenship is in heaven. That is our primary affiliation, not American citizenship, not a political party. Could have been racial. Now, several different races on the planet, and you know, every single race has a them. One of them. And every single race really has people that don't like them. The them, and would rather not reach them. Jonah was a Hebrew, an Israelite, asked to go and reach the Assyrians, one of them. And it could have been professional. His reputation as a prophet. I mean, he got it right one time when it said that all the reforms of Jeroboam were. They were predicted by the prophet Jonah. Now Jonah goes through and said, 40 days and this place is toast. Then he goes outside on the hilltop and he's waiting to smell smoke. Now he's figuring, man, my reputation's blown. I said they would be toast in 40 days and now they've repented and God has relented of the evil and God's showing them some mercy. My, man, I, I don't know if I can face this. We, we don't know what it is. What was his reason? Was it political? Was it personal? We don't know. Whatever it was, God said, Jonah, is it right for you to be this mad? And the implication is it doesn't matter what reason he had. There is absolutely no reason on this planet why we should be unhappy and sour and bitter and angry when God's reaching souls. And see, that was the sign of the prophet Jonah to Jesus' generation. Sinners were coming to him. People, of course, were knowing God. And folks were coming and making it right with God. And the leadership of the country could not be happy. And Jesus said, there's your sign. Jonah wasn't happy either. And there was rejoicing in heaven because people were being saved. You see, so now we see... The sign of the prophet Jonah has to deal with the lost, Nineveh, but also has to deal with the church too, doesn't it? What makes you happy? Really. What bends you out of shape? Really. Is the salvation of souls and the reaching of the lost, is that what makes us happy? Or is there something else that clouds that up because we can't be happy with something else that's going on in our life? 
Jonah was out of tune with God, wasn't he? Oh, God used him, but he was out of tune with God. The sign of the prophet Jonah is all wrapped up as this. God loved the unlovable, and that's all of us. God sent a message of mercy. God appointed a messenger to reach the lost. And the decision was up to the messenger is what he would do with that call. God has appointed all of us to reach the lost. Every one of us, in whatever way we can. That's the sign of the prophet Jonah. Wherever you are in your spiritual life, there's need for a response here. What are we going to do with this as we stand and sing? What number? Number one.